Hope you have your copy of the Word of God this morning and take it and turn over to Acts chapter 20. Our scripture reading will be verses 28 through 31. Let's stand today and honor the reading of God's Word. How about that? Let's stand together. Beginning in verse 27, the Word of the Lord says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day, to admonish every one with tears. Father God, may you instruct us and admonish us through your word. Lord, may we, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear how important uh, church life is. Lord, as the old song puts it, we love thy church, O Lord. You obtained and purchased this church body, those who are saved by your own blood. Lord, we have a responsibility to care uh, for those you have purchased. And Father, may you speak to us through your word and may we take your word and allow the Holy Spirit uh, to put it into our hearts and minds and for us to live it out daily. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last words are meant to be lasting words. They come from the heart and they provide for us a picture of what's most important. Again, lasting, last words are meant to be lasting words. And Paul has called the elders, if you remember, and you've been tracking with us, preaching the word. Paul tells the elders to come south some 30 miles from Miletus to come down so that the elders can be instructed by Paul. He had spent three years, which is the longest span that he ever spent with one group of people in his missionary journeys, and he spends three years working in that city, winning people to Christ and planting churches. He informs the elders in verse 25, just prior to 28 through 31, that this is going to be the last time that he sees these men face to face. So the words of this missionary slash evangelist slash church planter slash theologian missionary slash pastor, that's, that's the kind of guy he was, right? We, we know from reading the scripture that Paul was a compilation of every one of those things. And so, it adds weight and gravity to what this greatest missionary that ever lived would have to say to these elders. And he wants to ensure that the mission thrives in Asia Minor. He wants to make sure that it survives and thrives. So what we've seen in this rich pastoral section is essentials. 
that are needed by elders for oversight in the church as well as essentials that every church ought to have if we're going to consider ourselves a New Testament church. This is a soul sermon. It is. It is from the heart of Paul. It is extremely autobiographical. And if you peruse through First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, you'll see Paul's heart in those pastoral epistles that can be brought together with this one. And it's such rich material for all of us. Now, if you remember from last week, Paul reminded the elders that he did not shrink back from preaching to them the whole counsel of God. And Paul, we would say, rightly divided the whole of scriptures. He didn't run to a proof text ever so often or uh, preach week after week on the ones that he could deal with uh, that he thought wouldn't hurt someone's feelings. Uh, When it was time to throw the punches, he threw the punches from the Word of God. He He was willing to do that when God would lead him Uh, to a particular passage that uh, was more of an admonishment passage. So the elders, I would think, as they went back to Ephesus, they went back grateful for the man of God delivering the Word of God. To go back to their ministry context and to see this is how the church of the living God ought to function. When we arrive at verse 28, Paul is going to proceed to give a pastoral charge. It's really the first charge that he gives, and he gives it in verse 28. Pay careful attention. So, what could we say about the nature of the church by reading Acts 20, 28 through 31? What could we say about leadership in the church? How it ought to look when it comes to leadership. Well, it's pretty clear that he calls the elders together. What do you notice about that word? It's in the plural form. When he calls the people over, he calls them from one church called... We're going to stop right here if you don't know the church they came from. Somebody say it. Right? The elders came from one church, Ephesus, but had a plurality of elders, overseers, presbyteros, shepherds, pastors, which are all the same person. There was a plurality of them. He calls the elders together. We see clearly that elder is in the plural form. If you go back to Acts 14.23, James 5.14, and Philippians 1.1, Each local church had a plurality of elders. Now in verse 28, notice what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word episkopos means those who oversee. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, he says this is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to be in the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. So Paul will then give the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. So he addresses elders, and that term elder is taken from the word presbyteroi, presbyteros, and he says to the elders 
who are overseers appointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And then in verse 28, he actually gives the task of those. And the task is to shepherd the flock of God. And that is the term pastor, where we get the term shepherd, pastor. So the task of a shepherd is is to tend the flock of God. The word, again, is where we get the word pastor. So what do we have here? We have men identified as elders, and their function was to oversee and shepherd the flock of God. He's going to reiterate this in 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1. And elder is to be referred to as the dignity of the office, a noble task. Yet, uh, and then pastor and overseer will both refer to the function of that office. So you've got elder, and then you've got two describing words, overseer, pastor, to experience what that actually is. And yet elder, overseer, and shepherd are the same person in the Word of God. He, the, one of, the, the man of God called uh, a multiplicity, a plurality of elders in a local church. And I want to remind you, That we have elders in this church that are not paid staff. We do. We're going to find out who those are. Okay, that's going to be the goal. We do. We have staff that are elders. We have lay people in this church that fit this description. And so I just whet your appetite to show you that it's dead straight from the word of the living God. That you have a plurality of elders. So in a church you have overseer. You have uh, watchmen, you have shepherds, and then you've got that overseer, elder position, all one. And then you also have in the church body, deacons. All that was free this morning. How'd you like that? Now let's get to the sermon. Are you ready? Uh, the essentials. Last week, be a faithful watchman. And boy, that was, that was tough, wasn't it? I had some of my friends who listened to that sermon in other states and said, Whoa, man, preacher, you put it on them. And put it on me. And I said, well, just me too, right? When you start thinking about a watchman on the wall. And you start talking about those around you who don't know Christ. And you know, it's easy for us to talk about what we think salvation is. Or how it works in the Bible. And what your opinion might be. But it's really not worth anything to me unless you're actually out winning people to Christ. Right? Isn't it interesting how people will harp about uh, different doctrines, but never actually step out and obey the call from God uh, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So, think about that for a moment. Paul says, I'm a watchman on the wall in light of Ezekiel. And we've been called to be faithful watchmen. Uh, We might say it different. Women as well, who are saved by grace through faith and know Christ, that we are responsible for sharing our faith with others. You can't change a single soul. But you can sure warn them of what the Bible says. You can tell them of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God calls us to do. Only one point today. Are you ready? Here it is. Be on guard against the wolves. So last week it was faithful watchmen. This week we're reminded in the word of God that we are to guard against the wolves. And you know folks, this has a pastoral slant to it. Because who is he talking to? Elders. But can we all draw application from this? You sure can. Have you ever considered 
the amazing amount of information given to us in the New Testament that warns against false teaching and false prophets. False teaching and false teachers. If you consider for a moment, we have one New Testament book that is wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly devoted to a gospel-perverting era called Judaizers, and that book is called Galatians. An entire book is dedicated, six chapters, to those who were Judaizers, who were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have two books devoted to exposing and warning against that, and that would be 2 Peter and Jude. And we also have tons of warnings from the Apostle Paul himself, where he calls out false teachers by name. Be careful here. Stand up and preach some false doctrine. I'm not scared to call you by name. Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas, Alexander the coppersmith. And how about even Peter on one occasion that the Apostle Paul calls out for his dealing and or understanding with table fellowship with Gentiles and what his attitude was. So to expose false teaching is hardly one of my favorite things to do. I don't sit around in my office thinking, whew, what's the next heresy that might be under the rug somewhere at FBCO that I can just get up there and hammer? I mean, I don't enjoy that, but if you take your responsibility seriously as a minister of the gospel and or an overseer, then you've got to guard the flock from the wolves. Sometimes the sheep do not know and see the canis lupus. You know what that is? That's the species of a wolf. And you don't see that nature. And you don't even see it among your favorite writers. You don't even see it among the radio spots that you listen to. Or the TV programs and the websites. The danger is greater than it's ever been before. And he gives pastors like me the oversight and or the responsibility to be a watchman on the wall for this particular flock of God. What does the watchman do? He protects the walls of the city from the invaders. What does the shepherd do? He protects the flock from wolves. Both of those metaphors are the same in their understanding. God is called and equipped the men of God in doctrine and study to protect the flock of God. You don't have to have a bachelor's degree or a seminary degree or an earned doctorate to do that. However, you need to be a student of the Word. And of course, uh, if you go to the right schools, your bachelor's degree and your seminary degree and your doctoral degree will fuel that. Uh, We're not just a talking head up here disseminating information. There's a reason why we went to school. There's a reason why we study. Not because we want pedigree. You can have as many uh, degrees as a thermometer. But that doesn't mean you can preach the Word. Right? That doesn't mean you can pastor a church. But when you put those things together, a workman who gets into the Word and studies and, and goes to schools and education, there's a reason for that. Why? Because the church of the living God that was purchased by His blood is important. And we are responsible as overseers to lead. And I'm grateful that I don't have to spend all my time studying error and heresy. That I can spend a lot of my time just feeding the sheep. Right? However... It's necessary at times to get into the rubbish heaps because some of you like to eat there. 
You like to eat in the rubbish heaps. So it's our responsibility. I'll give an account one day for how I guarded you. And that I sat by idly when some kind of era you were either sliding off in or you were totally consumed in. I'm going to be held responsible for that and will give an account. I must fulfill my ministry in guarding the flock of the Lord. Now notice how Paul admonishes them in this area. Guard the flock of God. He does it in two ways. First, he's concerned about the overseer himself. And what does he say? Guard yourself. Guard yourself. So first, you've got to watch, I've got to watch my life. Watch your life. And then, of course, we're going to talk about watching the flock. But he will, he will never see these men again. Verse 25. So this constant guarding is something that he's not going to be able... He doesn't think he's going to see them face to face again. So he puts this in the present tense mode and says to them, this is a constant duty. That you've got to be continually guarding your own life. Take heed, closely watching oneself. And again, that subject is myself, ourselves. He doesn't begin with the call to watch the flock. He begins first with the call to watch ourselves. Pastors and elders. Why is this important? Because the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 34.9, remember where we came from last week? Being a faithful watchman. Uh, I'm innocent. Of the blood of all men. Paul's saying, I've done my duty. I've done exactly what God has called me to do. And Ezekiel 34, 9 reminds us that the faithful watchman, by being faithful, will deliver himself. There's a responsibility that I have to guard you and to guard my own life. Why? Because in so doing, I deliver myself. That's a huge responsibility. So Paul will tell Timothy to watch his life. Watch his doctrine and those who hear him. So Paul will model this out for us. He says to the Corinthians, listen to this. I beat my body into subjection. I beat my body to bring it under subjection, to make it a slave, lest after having preached to others, I myself might become an adokamos, a castaway. That's strong, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, I really need to beat my body into subjection, right? All of us think about that. But Paul is saying this in the sense of discipline before the Lord in all ways in life so that he would not be a castaway. Paul knew that it was possible to run uh, the race, to uh, then fall short of his duty and become a castaway. In other words, it is possible to fight and preach and minister and battle and all that count for nothing. Become a castaway. So this is a critical exhortation for the man of God to watch his own life. We are to watch our lives first and foremost, listen to this, as a Christian. Should we not be first Christians? God forbid that you'd have a pastor that's not a Christian. So for all of us today, we should start there when we're thinking about watching our lives. We should say, oh... First and foremost, make sure you're a Christian. Before you are an elder or a pastor, we ought to be Christians. Folks, we are children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. We ought to watch our lives. We're called as elders to watch our marriages. As husbands. Uh, We don't hear much today when you go to pastor's conferences about watching your life. 
What you do hear a lot about is how can you grow a huge church? How can we pack the pews? But not a whole lot is said about how the man of God ought to live his life in holiness before the Lord. Back in the day when you went to a pastor's conference, you would hear this over and over and over and over again. Watch your life and your doctrine and make sure you're real. Make sure you're the real article. Richard Baxter's classic work called The Reformed Pastor, he spends the very first chapter urging all pastors to make sure they're believers. That's pretty good, isn't it? That'll preach. Make sure preachers know the Lord. What an absolute pity to preach the gospel to others but never experience the power of saving grace yourself. Spurgeon, in what's called his lectures to his students, which that means they're going to be preacher boys, right? He opens that text up, lectures to my students, by reminding those who would be called to preach to make sure first that you are a Christian. And Baxter once famously said, Believe it, brethren, God never saved any man for simply being a preacher, nor because he was an able preacher, but because he was a justified and sanctified man, and consequently became a faithful, master, a faithful minister of the Master's work. It's exactly how it ought to be. We need to constantly be reminded of the own oversight, our own oversight of our own lives before the Lord. We can become numb to our own soul's condition as we try to deal with everybody else's problems. Especially in a church where you're dealing with, well, during the snow weeks and months, we have two or three hundred. Today we're probably bumping six hundred. But we generally have around 600 people that come to First Baptist Ozark. That's a huge responsibility for anyone. And you deal with a lot of problems. If, if I gave you my checklist in a week, sometimes you would just, you'd say, how in the world do you have that many contacts? And you, you have that many problems that you're thinking of and dealing with. But folks, the fact of the matter is, we can do good things and end up neglecting our own hearts. We can be so... We can be guilty of doing kingdom service without the kingdom being within us. So here's what I would say to you. Make sure you pray for your pastor. And there are multiple elders in this church, and we're going to find out who they are. So get ready for it. It's coming. Why? Because your pastor needs accountability. Why should I do something that the New Testament does not allow me to do? And that's for me to just lead by myself, right? I need accountability. And that's why you have a multiplicity of elders in the Word of God. So you need to pray that I will have genuine, authentic closeness with the Savior. That God will keep me clean, consumed, and contagious for Christ. Pray that I will grow in holiness and grace. Did you know that the surest way to secure your own good is to pray for my personal holiness? Why? Because Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us of that work that I'm held accountable for. And how that when you are an obedient follower of Christ and the shepherd God has given you, it's good for your soul. And the Bible says it's bad for you if you don't. So I think it's real important that you pray for your pastor and personal holiness. Leaders need to be held accountable for how they live and what they teach. They need to guard each other from error from ignorance, and from flock abuse that takes place all across the world. Then Paul says, watch the flock. Man, I'm so glad I can move off me and get on you. All right? All right, here we go. Well, good under-shepherds actually keep watch over their sheep, the Bible says. 
We have to keep an eye on sin. We have to keep an eye on division. Again, listen to the strength of the Scripture here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Do you notice how that's wed together? In other words, when our church moves to give a plurality of elders, it is the Holy Spirit of God putting His stamp of approval on the congregational life as we choose those elders. That's huge, isn't it? That's an awesome thing to think about, but that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the body of Christ. And so the Scripture says, uh, And from among you, uh, I know, back up, to care for the church of God. By the way, remember we started this series a few weeks ago, How to Care for the Blood-Bought Church of Christ. And there's your verse. Some of you have been saying, where does this come from? There it is, that he obtained by his own blood. And then he speaks of those who would twist and draw disciples away after them uh, that are like wolves. So watch the flock. You know, it's impossible for me to keep my eye on everything. And some of you accuse me of being omniscient because I start preaching and you're like, did you ride to, with us in the car on the way to church this morning? No, I didn't. What happens when you faithfully preach the Word of God is God infuses it. Amen. That's why you need to preach books of the Bible. Now, I'm not down on all topical preaching. Don't get me wrong. But I think your topical preaching ought to be expositional. Right? I'm not down on topical preaching. As long as it's Bible preaching and not your opinion. But folks, there's a reason why your pastor preaches the Word as it's written. Because God knows your need greater than you do. And when you preach the Word, God begins to finger on that need in your heart and life. Trust me, we know what we're doing. We do. We know what we're doing. We're following what the Word says. So... The deal is, there's no way that we can run around and check every box and be worried about all the time what's going on, but yet it doesn't nullify my duty to be a shepherd and to watch out and to guard, and that brings out the persistent nature of it. So pastors must take this seriously. If uh, we have to confront a given sin in the flock, this is part of what it means to guard the flock. No amens? It was a potential it is the potential of division, potential of friction among the sheep. And we have to deal with those things because it can end up harming the entire body. If you have a goal to divide and harm the body, then you're not in the right place. You need to go elsewhere. You need to go where you feel like your pastor is actually guarding your soul and giving you the truth. That's your responsibility before the Lord. And I'm going to be responsible for the sheep that I have sitting in the seats. My responsibility is you. If you're a member of this church and you're sitting in the seats of this church, we have a responsibility. That's my duty. If someone's drifting away from the faith, teenagers, and you say you're born of God, then you've got a responsibility to confront that brother. When's the last time you looked at one of your friends and loved them enough to say, you've got to shape up? No, you just go right along with them, do the same things they do. Is that kind of hard? But it's reality, isn't it? You say you love one another? When's the last time you confronted one another because you're in error? And you lovingly said to each other, you can't do that. And you best not hang out with this person or that person and go down that road. Why? Because if you lie with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Right? We, we ought to be willing to say those things. I mean, if, if there's error in the church body, somebody's got to be willing to man up and say, folks, you, you can't. We can't do that. That's not right. 
Show why? Not because we're trying to be punitive. And we're not trying to start the Sin Sniffers Association. That's not the goal here. But we have to take it very seriously. That if it's a sin that's going to damage your soul and the, and the life together of this church body, then that particular sin must be dealt with. Again, I'm not going to ping you every time on your phone when I sense something's going on. I'm just not. I'm not going to start the Sin Sniffers Association. That's just that's not worth it. But when sins are impacting the body of Christ and your soul's best interest is at stake, then you better believe we have a responsibility. I'm not going to kick you out of the church if you're reading Joel Osteen. Although I'd like to. All right? <laughs> if I go into your house and I see Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen on your shelf, I'm probably going to ask you about that. I'm going to kick you out of the church, but I'm going to be wondering, have you fallen and bumped your head? Right? To read and take those things in. And unfortunately, folks, you've got to have a little bit of thought, uh, a little bit of understanding. Just because they put an SBC stamp on it doesn't mean it's good theology. Amen. Be careful, ladies. You'll pick up every book in the world because you like the lady. And you say, well, she's not a theologian. I don't care what she is. If she's espousing doctrine, you're getting it. Hook, line, and sinker. Every bit of it. And if you're willing to put that and promulgate that out to other women, shame on you. Are you listening? Don't do that. If you're not sure, don't do it. Use some discernment. Guard the flock of God. That's our responsibility before God. And I'm going to let me do my duty. And by the way, don't get offended. If somebody has to come to you and say, this may not be a good idea. Why don't you let your pastor do his duty and don't get mad at me? I know we live in the age when you can't call a spade a spade or you can't really do anything because everybody's offense, offended. I mean, people today say, I'm offended because you're offended. Right? That's just kind of the way it goes. But the church of believing God is that important. And if you love the souls of people, you don't want them to believe something that is a lie. You want people to believe the truth. Don't get insulted. Don't take up an offense. If you need a little swift kick to the backside, don't get so mad. Your pastor has a duty. Do you see it in the text? To guard the flock of God. So the Spirit of God through the church appoints those who are to be overseers. We believe that the local church is independent and autonomous. What does that mean? We're Southern Baptists. But if the Southern Baptists ever go off in a way that's not right, guess what's going to happen? We won't be Southern Baptists anymore. We'll be, uh, we'll be uh, Ozark Community Church. <laughs> Whatever it takes. We will not identify with error and heresy. And so we're, we, that, this, we, we cooperate with the SBC. But we're not first SBC. We're first Christian and Bible students. And we're going to live what the Word of the Living God says. So... We are, what are we appointed to do? And the Bible says shepherd the flock. We're called to tend. This means to feed and protect. And Paul will now tell us why this is so sobering and important. The Bible says care for the church of God. Listen to this. Which he purchased or obtained with his blood. Do y'all see that? Where he puts together church and the blood of Christ. And obtained them. The idea is that the church has been acquired at great cost. It cost the blood of the lamb. 
to redeem those around you who are saved. Think about that. The purchase, you were, you were saved and acquired by the substitutionary atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is the purchase possession of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. You can't, you'll search in vain in the Bible to find something that is as strong as that kind of language is for our understanding of why we should shepherd and tend and guard and why the church is so precious to the Father. The church is absolutely and utterly precious to our Father. And that preciousness of the church requires overseers that are conscientiously in living and laboring in light of how much the church is worth. So we labor harder. My thoughts are, if the Son of God labored to obtain you and to save your soul, then why should I not labor for you? You're worth it, from my understanding. You're worth it because of what the terminology says here. You ever get irritated with people? Come up here and rub my head. If you don't, right? So that you can infuse me with some of this lack of irritability. It's easy, right? To get to where we're, we're just irritated. And people can do this to you. And how easy it is to forget that all the wandering around that sheep do, and all the kicking, and all the bleeding... Sometimes all night long, sometimes the backbiting, even sometimes against the pastor and the staff and everybody else. Boy, it's, it's sometimes easy to forget that you were purchased by the blood of Christ. And for some of you, I'm thinking, I'm not sure you... Oh, I better stop right there, right? <laughs> but look, I mean, sheep, folks, it's dirty. It's difficult. And sometimes it's easy to get my focus off, but i got to remember, the Lamb of God purchased you by His own blood. I have a responsibility to lead you. And what an imposing statement this is to impress upon those Ephesian elders. You're going back to your church. I want to remind you I purchased them. The Jesus Christ purchased them by his own blood. How small is my labor in comparison to the Son of God giving himself to save sinners? The shed blood of Christ is always behind me pleading me to fulfill my duty. It's really what that means if you take it seriously. And Paul was confident that the wolves were coming. He would later warn Timothy of this very thing. And Timothy will begin to admonish those in his circle. Hey, fierce wolves are coming. They are. They're out there. They're coming. Uh, he actually calls them savage wolves. What an apt metaphor. Why? Because they could care less about the souls of people. They just want a following. They're not worried about the eternal soul of people. They're not worried about uh, what the Bible says. They're worried about taking advantage. Jude will denounce this group forthrightly. Listen to Jude. There's only one chapter, so you have to say Jude. Right? Listen to the word. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this con condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said, Me, I'm, I'm here to warn you that people are perverting 
the grace of God. In other words, they would say something like, well, Jesus is good, but you've got to have a little more. It's Jesus plus this. Folks, I've told you this before. Here's gospel math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's Bible math right there, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And these guys are coming in and perverting the gospel. Think about this. If it's bad enough to say that there are fierce wolves, and I know I'm picking up steam because of time. If it's bad enough to say that wolves will come from without, check this out. There will also be wolves that come from within. And Paul says some of you are going to end up being those fierce wolves that are, com- that are going to come in and going to teach heresies and, and wrong doctrine. And it's going to infiltrate the church. And the Bible says what they're going to do is to draw away the disciples after them. Just think about how heartbroken Paul would have been having to deal with Hymenaeuses and Alexanders and those who were with the group and then became false teachers, teaching totally contrary to the Word of God and leading people astray. I'm sure it broke his heart. Do you know that when Paul writes Galatians, he literally says this in the Greek, Idiot Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose very eyes Jesus was crucified for your sake. Oh, can you feel the heartbeat in Paul? And when you get to the end of Galatians, he says, I have labored. I have labored into birth pangs to see your salvation, how God saved you. But now we're having to go back. And Paul's like, we don't want to go back through the birth process again. Why? Because the Judaizers were leading them astray to tell them it's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus this. And Paul's saying, listen, you've forgotten the grace of God. If you can be saved through the law, as Paul would say, you don't need grace. But the fact is, you can't be. Correct? Well, elders must know that these things will happen. And Paul said it. Listen to this. My departure is coming, and I know what's going to happen when I leave. Those fierce wolves are going to come from without, and they're going to come from within. Notice verse 31, we must be alert. The Bible says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Check this out. Uh, First, for three years. Second, night and day. Third, admonishing. And you say, well, that's a sweet word. Admonishing. Well, it actually translates confrontation. Exhorting in a way that is corrective. And note this, folks. Not standing off aloof, but did so with tears. Isn't that interesting? That he's correcting. He's admonishing. He knows there's error that can creep in. He's taught them for three plus years and reminded them that this could happen. But he did so with tears. Did you know that Paul saw himself as a means of grace for the perseverance of the people's souls? Do you see your pastor as a means of grace for the perseverance of your own soul? Well, you should. You should. You should see those who preach and teach uncompromisingly the Word of God a means of grace from God to you to help preserve your soul. That's how strong this is in the Word of God to us. And the moment I begin to give you a list of soothing platitudes of how you can be successful in your life, and this, that, and the other apart from Scripture, then that's the moment you need to find a pastor that's going to look out for your soul. But as long as you're a member of this church and you come into this building, I'm going to do my best to look out for your soul. Amen? Sometimes sheep don't know what's best for their soul. 
Sometimes I don't even know what's best for mine, but I do know one thing that's best for it. This right here, right? The Word of the living God is what I need. It is the whole counsel of God. Did you know, folks, pastoring a church is serious business? It is serious business. Uh, Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's confrontational. What dictates what we do in this building? It is the whole counsel of God. We are called by God to preach the Word. Souls are at stake. You know, this is why Kyle and Katie mentioned the other night how important it is for Kyle to go back over there and begin to teach people theology. Why? Because when you plant a church, the first thing that you've got to deal with is the fact that you've got interlopers and you've got people coming in there by the enemy, pushed in there by the enemy to distort the work. And it's so important for people like Kyle and Katie planting churches in India to go over there and not only see people come to Christ, but teach them the Word of God. Why? Because wolves are coming in. They need to be experts in wolfology. That's a new word, right? But Christ obtained the church with his own blood. What is precious to our God must be precious to us. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. I believe that. So you've got to pay attention. Be alert. Wolves are on the prowl. Uh, can I, is it su- sufficient to say pray for your pastor? Is it? Pray for my own growth and holiness. Pray for our families. Uh, pray that God will keep a vital walk with all of us with Christ. Pray that God will help us fulfill our calling of feeding and protecting this church body. I'm not responsible for Selmore, or LifePoint, or Crossway, or no other church. I'm responsible for you. You're the sheep that God has given me. And as long as you're here, I'm going to do my best to protect you, even when it makes you uncomfortable. Right? Uh, Maybe when it's difficult, we're still going to do what God has asked us to do. It's my duty to preach the Word and to encourage and to protect. But ultimately, you do need to pray for your pastor, but ultimately, we need to pray for the protection of the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. You you do know that he's the great shepherd of the sheep. That's the title that is given to our Lord. No one can guard us and protect us like Jesus. So we ought to be praying for his protection. Pray that he will protect us from the wolves without and from the wolves within. And finally, we should love the church. Shouldn't we? Do you, do you see that it's the church of the living God that was purchased by his blood? And I know how people think. I love the church. And when you say that, you're thinking of the universal church. I love the church. It's easy to say you love people who are invisible to you. Right? But do you love the church with skin on it? You know, there's an old expression, absence makes the heart grow fonder. If that's really, if that's really true, then some of you must love the church. <laughs> right? And I'm sure that many of you don't believe and feel the same way about ecclesiology as I do. Okay? What is ecclesiology? The study of the church. Ecclesia, local assembly. But I'm just telling you, folks, from your pastor's heart, You are called by God, if you are saved, to love the church. 
And I'm not talking about the universal church of everybody in the world who's been saved. Yeah, you ought to love them. But you're called by God to love your local church that Christ obtained by His own blood. We are called by God to do that. So it's easy to say, I love those people somewhere out there somewhere. Way out there. Where? But it's a different thing to say, I love your church, Lord, that I'm a member of, that you've put me in. We love the church comprised of saints with all their problems and all their warts and all their freckles, everything else, right? When's the last time you looked around at this body and, and said, Jesus Christ obtained her by his own blood? Jesus Christ obtained him by his own blood. Oh, that'll change your perspective, won't it? Let's pray together. Father, help us. God, help me. Lord, some things are hard to say. and Lord, uh, some confrontation is not easy. Uh, Lord, that's not my favorite thing to do. But Lord, you've given a duty. Lord, for us to hold high the word of God. and To guard the flock. Because f- savage, fierce wolves will come in from within and without. Sometimes right up under our very noses. Sometimes the ones we trust the most. God, help us. Lord, help us. God, protect us. You are the great shepherd of the sheep. No one can feed us and protect us like you. And Father, we plead your son's protection over this church body. God, we know that sin can come in and and, and just destroy. It defiles, it nullifies, it destroys. And Lord, we're, we're not immune to it in this church body. Lord, even in the last few months, Father, you are very much aware. We all are aware of how sin destroys families and how uh, we can easily slide off into uh, some kind of theology that is not based on Scripture, that puts us on a slippery slope. And Lord, you reminded the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation that they had lost their first love. Lord, that's what happens so much. We get attracted by everything else in the world other than Jesus. And Father, we pray you would renew our love for the Savior. Lord, help us. Go back and do the first things, as you told the church of Ephesus. God, don't let us be a church that loses our first love. If we lose our love for you, then we know what's going to happen. We're going to make decisions that don't honor our Father. God, help us, everyone in this building. And God, help me to lead, Lord, to to have a life of holiness. Lord, no way I'm going to be perfect. No way I'm going to make every decision correct every time. No way I'm going to be able to do everything right all the time. But God, help me. Lord, to lead in such a way that it would honor you, bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.